You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on September 16th, 2018. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to start with a question this morning, and that is, why are you here? Why are you here? You could be other places on Sunday morning. Why did you choose to come here today, this morning? And to address that question, first we're going to ask another question, and that is, when you go to the doctor's office, what is the first thing they ask you? Uh, Maybe, how are you doing? Maybe, tell me your medical history. But pretty quickly, they get to, why are you here? Because we don't usually go to the doctor for just any old reason. Now, I like my doctor. He's a nice guy. And I like to have conversations with him when I go there, but I don't set appointments with my doctor just to go have a conversation with him. Usually when we go to the doctor, we have a reason to go to the doctor. Maybe it's a wellness visit, or maybe you have something in your health that you're concerned about that you want to talk to the doctor more about and get his or her advice. So they always ask, why are you here? Because there's a a reason that we go to the doctor. And I think it's good to ask the same question about church. Why come to church? Why are we here? What do we get out of church? Why is it important for us to be here? What do you value in it? And so if you're new, what brought you here today? And if you've already been a member or a regular attender, why do you keep coming back? Why do you spend your time here every Sunday? Well, I don't know all of your individual reasons, but there are some basic human needs that I think coming to church helps us to address and our Christian faith helps us to address. And so we're going to talk about three of those today. There are probably many others, but we're going to talk about three of them. And those are, first of all, community, second, purpose, and then finally, hope. So community, purpose, and hope. That's what we're going to look at today. So to do that, we're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to talk about community. So right in the very beginning, when God is creating everything, he creates the heavens and the earth, he creates all of the animals, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, And the very last thing that he creates is man. Specifically one man, Adam. And God puts him there. He makes him in his own image. Adam is supposed to be like God in a lot of ways, in God's own image. But God looks at Adam and he says, hmm, it's not good for this guy to be alone. That's what it says in chapter 2, verse 18. Then God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And then he says, I will make a helper fit for him. 
And so the Lord looks at all of the different animals that he had made, and he, he asks one by one, would this be a good helper for Adam? Would this be a good companion to Adam? And yes, there were dogs there, and dogs are great companions, but cats too. I'm not a cat person, but cats too. But even the cats, they weren't good, good enough companions for Adam. You know, they were, they were good, not just not good enough, because there was something missing. And so God puts Adam to sleep, and he opens up his side and takes out a rib, and he forms a woman out of his rib. And Adam at last says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's what we read in the Old Testament lesson today. And while this is the institution of marriage, this is where we get the idea of marriage from, that, that a man and a woman come together and are, are lifelong companions with one another for various purposes. It also illustrates the purpose that each of us was meant to be in relationship with other people. We all need other people in our lives. We aren't meant to be alone. God actually says it's not good for us to be alone. Because God made us to be in community with others. God himself is actually a community of persons. One God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is never lonely because God always has this community of three persons in one God. And we are made in his image. We're made for community just like God is a God of community. Have you ever noticed that loneliness and depression kind of go hand in hand? And actually, they can feed off of each other and create a, a pretty negative downward spiral. Because when you're depressed, you don't really feel like being around people, and so you withdraw from people. And then you feel lonely, and you get depressed about feeling lonely, and so you withdraw from people even more, which is counterintuitive, but it happens all the time. It's a regular pattern lots of people go through. Depression and loneliness often go hand in hand. And I think the reason is that we're meant to be in community. And so when we're separated from community, there's something that just doesn't feel right about us. Have you ever uh, gotten sick and had to stay home by yourself for an extended period of time? You know, even two or three days. The first day, not the sick part, but the, the staying home part, that can be kind of nice. You get to relax, you get to sleep in, you get to, hopefully you're not throwing up, but you get to, you know, just rest, have some peace and quiet, and that's good for a day, maybe two days. But if you've spent too many days alone by yourself like that, pretty soon you start to feel a little stir-crazy. Because the television can't keep you company all that well. The television talks to you, but you can't talk to it. You can't share your heart with the television. You can't have a conversation with the television. We need other people. And Facebook and social media today have made it both easier and harder to find community. Have you noticed that? It's easier to find community with social media because almost every day I get friend requests from people from all the whole history of my life. You know, people from when I was a, a child, people from when I was in high school and college and seminary and uh, from when we lived in Pittsburgh. There are all these people and they're coming to Facebook every day and we're finding each other and reconnecting. And that's really cool because we get to see pictures of them and we get to, to reconnect and, and have conversations and see what's happened in their lives. But the reason this makes it hard is that even though we have this abundance of friends that are finding us through social media, it's really hard to have a depth to our relationships in social media. It's really hard to go uh, deeper than surface level. And part of that is because when we're on social media, when we're posting on social media, usually we're projecting the best image of ourselves. 
We're projecting a picture that's happy. We're projecting a picture that's joyful. We're projecting the things that are going right in our lives, the, people that peop- the things that people are going to want to comment on and give us nice positive feedback, and that feels good. But we don't share the, the sorrows with people, usually. We don't share the hard things, the things that we're struggling with. Sometimes we do, but it, it doesn't get to that deeper level that you can really only find through connection and community with real life face-to-face people. We need community in our lives. We need honest, real, authentic community. Have any of you ever tried to grow corn in your garden? A few of you? I tried to grow corn in our garden once. Uh, we were doing this thing called square foot gardening, which was raised bed gardening. And we, uh, we had these raised beds. They were about eight feet by four feet. And we divided them all up into this grid of one, square, one foot square sections. And we would plant things in the different sections. And so we had some carrots over here. They were doing really well. And we had zucchini. Oh my goodness, zucchini takes up like four or five of those squares. It just goes nuts. And we planted some corn because we thought it would be cool to have our own sweet corn growing in our garden. And so we, we took up maybe half of a box with sweet corn. And the sweet corn seeds germinated and they started growing. And the stalks got about that high and they stopped. And they never grew a single ear of corn. And I was confused about this. And I couldn't figure out why they started out so well and I never got any corn out of them. And someone later shared with me that corn is actually a social plant. It needs other corn for it, for it to, germ, to, uh, to produce ears of corn and, and actually give you something to eat. So you have to plant enough corn, kind of like a lot of corn, for it to really produce anything. Because otherwise, it just grows up a little bit and then it does nothing, like my corn did. I didn't plant enough corn. The corn needed community. It need other, needed other ears of corn to grow. And we do too. As humans, we need other people in our lives to help us grow because we can't grow on our own. We need human relationships. So think about this for a second. There are some things you can only learn in a relationship, right? So uh, if you don't have any people around you, it's really easy to not lose your temper because there's no one to lose your temper at. It's really easy to not have anger issues because there's no one to be angry with. But when we have people in our lives, all of a sudden we start to see that there's, there are areas in our life that we need to grow because we're struggling with relationships. And those relationships help us to become better people. They help us to grow as people. They help us to be formed. And when we take this a step further, if we are Christians, we need other Christians to help us grow as Christians specifically. Beyond the basic human need for a community, Christians need community to grow in the area of their faith. Have you ever tried to play football by yourself? Or baseball? Can you play baseball by yourself? You can't even play baseball with one other person because, you know, you can, you can maybe throw the ball back and forth and play catch, but you can't play a real game of baseball without two whole teams of people because baseball is a team sport. So is football. It's a team sport. And guess what? Christianity, our faith, is a team sport. God didn't make us to be on our own in the faith. God made us for Christian community to help one another. In the Bible, it talks about the church as the body of Christ and how all of us are different parts of that body. 
And so some of us are pinkies and some of us are big toes and some of us are knees and some of us are left elbows. But a left elbow isn't a body by itself. It needs all the other parts of the body to function properly and and be a whole person. And similarly, we all need to be a part of this body because we're not meant to go it on our own. We're not supposed to be Christians all by ourselves. And so uh, one place we can look and talk about this in the scriptures is in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a a collection of of short wisdom sayings, short, smart things that... um, that various people wrote. King Solomon wrote a lot of them. And in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So if you go in your kitchen, I don't know if you have one of these, I have one of these, and you go in your knife drawer, your knife block, often your knife block is going to have something that's not a knife. It has a handle like a knife, but it's just a, a long rod of metal with just a little bit of a, a groove to it. And when you want to sharpen your knives, you take it out and you, you go the knife blade against the, the honing steel back and forth, back and forth, and that puts all the molecules back into the right order so that you have a nice, fine, sharp edge that can slice through your tomatoes. Iron sharpens iron. God uses metal to sharpen other pieces of metal. And so we come to a sharp point. And God is saying in this proverb that we need other people to become sharp, to grow sharp in our faith. Not that we're trying to cut people with our faith. It means we're, we're trying to be honed and, and directed and shaped into the people that God has called us to be. And we do that for one another in Christian community. So how do we do that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the importance of being in a Christian community and what that does for us. In chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, it says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see a couple things happening there. First of all, the church is meant to be a source of encouragement for us. It can be hard to be a Christian. It can be hard to fight against temptation, especially in a world that says, oh, just do it. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Do what feels right. These are the messages our culture sends us all the time, and it's hard to stand fast against that. It's hard to stand fast against the lies that are in the world sometimes. And so we need to be encouraged. We need to be surrounded regularly by other people who believe in the words of Scripture, who believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, to encourage us and help us along the way. We also need them to help us stand firm. This says, uh, let us consider... uh, It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another... And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. We need to hold firm. And we need Christians to help us hold firm. We need to do this together because we're a team. And then finally, we see uh, that we need to stir one another up to good works. Sometimes we need other people to observe other people and see how they're living out their faith. And that can give us 
ideas. It can, the Holy Spirit can work through that and show us ways that we're supposed to grow, ways that we're supposed to be shaped. And that happens by rubbing against other Christians as iron sharpens iron. So we need community. It's one of our basic human needs. God made us for community. And we find community and we find support in the church. That's one of the reasons why we come here. But another basic human need is purpose. We all need a sense of purpose in our life. Have you ever heard someone ask the question, what is the meaning of life? It's a really age-old question that philosophers of every culture have been trying to answer for thousands of years. What is the meaning of life? And people have come up with different answers for it. Some have said that the meaning of life is, is love in human relationships. We kind of talked about that already when we talked about community. Community is a basic human need, and, and we need community to contribute to a sense of purpose in our lives. But you can still feel like your life has no purpose, even when you're surrounded by family and friends. You can still have a, a feeling of emptiness. So other people have suggested that the meaning of life is in pleasure. That's the do-what-feels-right mode of operation. But I'm sure we can all think of people who have sought this route and have found themselves lacking. There are plenty of millionaires out there who are very unhappy. People who have everything they could possibly want and plenty more money to buy anything that they don't have if they need it or want it. But they can't find that happiness in their possessions or in their bank accounts they often find their life is meaningless unless it has something more to it. Or other people have, have sought to find uh, fulfillment in something they're addicted to. Maybe it's food or alcohol or drugs or something else. There are lots of things that we try and fill that feeling of, of emptiness inside of us. But those things might make us temporarily feel good, but they leave us feeling empty in the end. We can't find our meaning or our purpose in those things. And then others have proposed that there's no purpose at all, that life is meaningless, and that you're foolish to even ask why life has a meaning. They might say that, that we were all created by random chance. But this is a hopeless solution that also leaves us feeling empty, like there's something missing. People might resign themselves to this idea, but no one is really happy and satisfied with it. So what is the meaning of life? Well, the Bible gives us some pretty good, clear direction on that. And so to, to talk about the meaning of life, let's take a look at the psalm that we, that we prayed together today. This is Psalm 139, and towards the end of the section that we read, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So what this is saying is that God knew you before you were even born, that God was actually the one who put you together like a giant complicated set of Lego blocks. God put every piece of you, every molecule together as you were being formed in your mother's womb. And why would he do that? Why would he be so intimately involved in every detail of your body being formed? It's because he loves you. He created you because he wanted to love you. 
he looked out in the world and he said, hmm, I think this world could use a Stephen. This world could use a Sally. That's what God was thinking when he made you. And so he formed you because he wanted to love you. And because he wanted to put you in this world because he thought you would make the world a better place. And that's where we can find meaning in life. Meaning in life doesn't come from our human relationships, although those are good. Meaning in life doesn't come from our sense of success or self-worth because we're not worth anything by ourselves. Meaning in life doesn't come from the, the number in our bank accounts or the size of our house or the fanciness of our car. None of those things can really give us meaning. But we have meaning to know that God created us for a purpose. And his purpose was to love us that we were created to be in relationship with God. St. Augustine, who was one of the early leaders of the church, uh, said this. He was writing a prayer at the beginning of his autobiography. And so he was speaking to God and he said, For you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And people sometimes try to find that purpose in their career, like I was talking about, or their interests, or their relationships. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying your work, or your hobbies, or your relationships. But if we want to try, our, our, try to find our purpose in them, it's never going to work. They will all come up wanting. Because we were made for God. And it's only in God, only in Him, that we are able to find that purpose and that peace. But there's a problem. The problem is that we're not able to be in relationship with God in our natural state. The problem that is that in our natural state, we're separated from God because of our sin. And therefore, we can't fulfill our God-given purpose to be in relationship with God. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet was talking to the people in Israel, uh, and he shared with them these words from God. This is chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So this brings up the question, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark of God's best for us. It's disobeying God. It's going in a different direction. When God says, go here, you go there. When God says, do this, you do that. And when we turn away from God's will for us, we're sinning. We're turning away from God's purpose for us. And his purpose for us isn't to be harsh. It's not to be authoritarian. It's not to be controlling. It's just that God made you, and he knows what's best for you. And so if any of you have ever been a parent and observed a child going off in the wrong direction, of course you're going to chase after them, and of course you're going to try and bring them back. And that's what God does for us. When we sin, it breaks our relationship with God. It causes separation between us and God. But it's not just something that causes separation between us and God. There's more consequence to sin. Because sin breaks our human relationships, too. Our sin separates us from those around us, and that makes it difficult to maintain relationships. If someone lies to me, and I find out about it, that's going to cause distance between myself and that person. It's going to break my trust. If someone steals from me, it's going to break my relationship with that person because there's going to be a lack of trust. If someone blows up in my face in anger, that's going to cause some distance because I'm not going to want to trust that person. So when we sin, it breaks not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with other people. 
And that's a problem because remember, one of the, the things that we need, one of our basic human needs is to be in community. We were made for community. And so if we find ourselves separated from God and separated from other people, that's a big problem. And then one other thing that happens through sin is that sin causes sickness and death and violence and destruction in the world. Those things didn't exist when God created the world perfect and very good. But when sin entered the world, those things entered the world too. Sin, sickness, death, thorns, thistles. You didn't have to weed your garden before, before the first sin, you know? We were talking about corn earlier. You didn't have to weed because there were no weeds. That all comes as a result of sin in the world. And when we look in the book of Romans, we find hope. In the book of Romans, it talks about the future glory that's coming. This is the passage we read just a little bit earlier. And it says that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is bound, enslaved to corruption. Creation is falling apart. God made it perfect and good, but since the time of, first time of sin, everything's been falling apart. And there's been this death and sickness and destruction. But that's not the way it's supposed to be, and that's not the way it's going to be. It's just the way it is right now, between the beginning and the end. We have this struggle in the middle. But our hope is in where we're going. Our hope is in what Jesus has done to set things right. Because Jesus wasn't content to just leave the world as it is, in this state of brokenness and sin. Jesus had a plan to save us, and so he left heaven... He left the glory and the riches of heaven, and he took on human flesh to struggle alongside with us, to face every temptation that we face, and to do so without sin so that he could die in our place on the cross, so that we could be reconciled to God, so our sin could be washed away, and our relationship with God could be restored, and he could put his Holy Spirit in us so that we could start to to become the people he created us to be, so that our relationships with other people could be restored too. And he's actively working to fix his creation. We're moving towards a final culmination where everything wrong will be set right. And so beyond that, Paul says in the book of Romans that not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for Jesus to come back and and take us home to be with him. And he says, for in this hope, we are saved. In this hope, in the hope of Jesus Christ, we are saved. We hope in Jesus Christ. And that hope is not a fleeting hope. It's not a, oh, I I hope there's going to be lunch in the refrigerator when I come home. It's not that kind of a, a small hope. It's a big hope. It's a rock solid hope. It's the kind of hope that you can utterly depend on because it is so sure We have purpose and direction and we have hope in Jesus Christ because we know where all things are going. He told us in his word. There's no doubt about it. And so as we're struggling in this world, as we're weighed down by the cares of this world, as we're trying to please the people in our lives, as I was talking to the children about earlier with that heavy backpack, imagine all those weights being thrown into your backpack, all those burdens of the world on your shoulder, the burdens of provision, the burdens of relationships and pleasing your boss and pleasing the authorities in your life. All of that weighs on our shoulders and Jesus says in the midst of that with open arms, come to me. 
Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I can take that burden off of your shoulders. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke was something they talked about in in the, the rabbis or the teachers in the Jewish faith. The yoke of a rabbi was the teaching of the rabbi. So Jesus says, take my teaching upon your shoulder. Throw away the teachings and the cares of the world. Let me show you the way I designed it to be. Put my yoke on your shoulders for my yoke. My yoke is easy. It's easy because it's the way he designed it to be. And my burden is light. Jesus wants to do that for you. He wants to take the burdens off of your shoulder. He wants to wipe your sins away. He wants to restore you to relationship with his Father in heaven. He wants to put his Holy Spirit inside of you to transform you and change you and help you to, to walk away from the sin that's in your life. He wants to do all of that for you. He wants to bring you into God's family. He wants to bring you into God's kingdom. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And so you might be wondering, well, how do I, how do I get that? How do I find that hope? How do I find that peace? And it happens through prayer. We just invite Jesus into our lives. That's all we have to do. It's not complicated. It's not hard. There's not even a magic formula to use. All you have to do is accept the invitation. Welcome him in. He's not going to force himself on you. And so the way we accept that invitation is by asking for, for forgiveness, by repenting and saying, the way I've been going in my life is not right. I want to turn a new leaf. I want to go in a new direction. I want to go in your way instead of my way. And then we thank him for what he's done for us on the cross, coming into the world, taking on human flesh, and dying in our place. And then we invite him, say, Lord, please come into my life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer now that says those things. If you want to do that now, you're welcome to. Just join quietly with me as I pray those words and say them for yourself. Uh, and that welcomes Jesus into your life. That's the beginning of faith in Christ. And if you've done that before, but you're feeling distant from Jesus right now, it's okay. You can pray it again and again and again and again, because we always need to come back to Jesus. We're always sinners. We continue to be sinners until the day we die and go to be with Jesus, and he, he fixes everything. So if you need to pray this prayer again, there's no shame in that. Go ahead and do it. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess my faults, shortcomings, sins, and rebellious acts. And I ask you to forgive me. I embrace you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for your atoning death on the cross in obedience to your Father's will to put away my sins. I enthrone you, Lord Jesus, to be in charge of every part of my life. And I ask you to indwell and empower me with your Holy Spirit so that I may live as your faithful follower from now on. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.